This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. And you can go ahead and open up your Bibles this morning up to Genesis chapter 1. We'll be going there again. Uh, but just a quick review here. We have been starting a series on the purpose of the family. And, you know, we found out what purpose means. It's the intended position. So we have been finding out what is God's intended position for the family. And I love how Minister Martin took us to, to Abraham. And we saw that Abraham was a friend of God. And why? Because God said, I know him, and he will command his children after him. And God promised Abraham that in him shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And in Galatians, he said, if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. So we said that Abraham being, the father of the, being our father of faith, this is our example of being justified by faith. And it shows us that the promise and responsibility to bless the families of this earth applies to us believers. You know, when I... When I think of, you know, Abraham being our father in faith, you can finally get the meaning of that song you learned when you were, you were a little kid. You know, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. And the more I, I look at purpose and think about that, I begin to think of my father. And I like, I'm like, now that song applies to him too. Our father, Pastor Hill, had many sons, and many sons had our father, Pastor Hill. And I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Why? Because we have the purpose of God in our hearts now. We can all get his redemptive plan done. And I, you know, I hope one day that somebody can say that about me as well. Father Isaac Hill had many sons. And not because I want the praise, but I want everybody to know the redemptive work of God. The redemptive work of Christ. So it's crucial that we all know that the call of the family is to produce spiritually and emotionally established believers who in turn get God's redemptive work done on the earth. <clears throat> We said last time that in the family, the husband and the wife must make God's purpose their business, their ministry, and they have to chase after it diligently. We said that both the parents and all the children have to be fruitful. Like it says in Genesis, be fruitful and multiply. Now, we said fruitful is not just having sex and having a bunch of babies, because you see it says fruitful and multiply. So we had to figure out what fruitful meant, and I said it meant that fruitful means I must constantly seek God's purpose and persistently live every moment of my life with his purpose in mind. We have to always remember that. That's the only way you can be fruitful. See, everything we're, we're teaching and we're learning lately, it's a tool for you to help clear the path for your family so that they can see Christ. So that the others in this world can see Christ. You've got to remember that. You know, there's a lot of information that's going across, yes. And it does seem like, yes, it's a lot of hard work, but, you know, the, to, to have the heart of Christ is hard work. Just come to terms with that. It's hard work. Let's stop trying to take the easy road. Shortcuts, easy road, it's not for the believer. You know what's for the believer? Endurance, perseverance, abiding. That's what's for the believer. See, all we're trying to do is trying to help you catch the things now so that when the world throws those, 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 the flow in your face, that you know how to respond with purpose in mind so that you're fruitful in your response. So that you or your family won't become the statistics of this world. You know, single-parent homes. Families that can't keep their children out of jail or die early. Strung out, addicted on drugs or alcohol. Families that grow up and, and raise, raise hateful children that go to Walmarts in El Paso and shoot 20 people. Injure 26. 
See, because if you, I know you look at that person and like, man, something, something's going to, that started in the home. I mean, his parents might not have been that extreme about it, but it was planted in the home. That's where he got it from. So, but, and here's my thing, when I say all those things, I don't want you to be discouraged, right? Because the flow, the, the flow of this world, if you get into that flow, you will be in cycles. But God delivers from cycles. He does deliver from the cycles. But the thing about the cycles is, here's the thing about cycles. Most people, by the time they get it right, they've already implanted a cycle in somebody else's life. And remember, we have to keep one thing in mind. If you read in Galatians, well, we're going to go to it again today, but if you kept reading and reading on to chapter 6, there's a principle at work too. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. That which you sow, you shall reap. So just because you start to choose Christ later in life, remember, there's some things that you may have planted back in the day, you have to reap what you sow. God is with you, but you have to reap what you sow. And that's the thing we're trying to prevent. So we have to get back to the basics. And find out what was God's original plan and purpose for the family. So I'm going to do a little quick review here on my part. And I said that my part here was the purpose of the family is to conduct or operate government for the glory of God as his stewards or representatives on the earth. And I said, you don't have to write all that. All you have to write is to subdue and have dominion. The purpose of the family. My part. I didn't say that's the only purpose. Y'all know Minister Spencer started a few weeks back and she, she covered on to reflect the image of God and character and in structure. And I said our purpose is to subdue and have dominion. Alright, are we all in Genesis chapter 1? I'm going to start at verse 26. And it said, God's, And God said, Let us make man. Now I stopped there last time and I have to stop here again because that let us make man. Hopefully you guys went back and read over Genesis again and, and confirmed what I read because there was no other and God said let us throughout that. Now I'm not saying that the, the Trinity didn't have anything to do with the rest of God's creation, but I'm telling you what I, what I see here. It says right there in verse 26, and God said let us make man. That's one thing I will confirm for you. And God doesn't do anything without purpose. So there's a reason why it says there let us make man. And we had to know that it's because the Trinity is the us that he's talking about. There's a purpose from, the de- from day one. They said, oh, we all, have to do- we all have to put something into man here. We all have to create man because we're all going to have a part in man. We all have a part in this imaging, re-imaging process. We said it was God the Father who sent the Son from the foundation of the world. So he already had purpose in mind. The son who came and gave his life and made the church by dying for our sins. And the spirit who now comes and fills the hearts of those who believe, that's the church, with the ways of their husband, Jesus Christ. The Godhead working it out, all in one, all all together, until purpose gets done. Now let's keep reading here. And God said, let us make man in our image, and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. And the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. See, it was God's intention for mankind to have dominion over all the rest of his earthly creation in order to bring it into his purpose 
his will, and his harmony. Remember, man was the only, only, it was a unique creation. The only one that got the spirit breathed into him as well. Oh, we had the flesh like the other the fleshly creatures of the earth, but the reason we were given dominion is because we were made in the image and, and character and likeness of God. So he gave us dominion to have dominion over those creatures. Because remember, those fleshly creatures, all they are is flesh, so they couldn't communicate with God. But we that have a spirit like God, we can communicate with God. So he gives us dominion so that we can communicate to them what God is communicating to us. Because we can communicate with the, the creatures by our flesh. We also have flesh. But those fleshly creatures, they're not capable of fearing. They're not capable of serving God at all. We have to subdue them. Have dominion over them. And then so I said, we have to figure out then what does subdue and dominion mean, really. Because these are the commands that God has given us, right? So we looked at that word subdue. And I told you I found it in the Hebrew word for it is kabash. And it means to bring into subjection, to keep under or to make subservient, to, to enslave or force submission. And then I, I really like this one is to take control of a hostile country. And then we said there, so that 28, it, it implies something, especially if that's what that means. When I looked it up, it means that the creation must be brought into submission so that it's not to rule man. Follow me here. And then we figured out, what does dominion mean? And we looked at the Hebrew word for that, which is rada. And we said it's a royal term, as in a dominating rule of a king. Mastery, to rule, to govern, to have lordship. And I said, well, if God said that we are to have dominion, and we're to be his dominating kings or his rulers that have lordship, then we need to know what kind of king or, or, or lord that God wants. to be. What kind of representative he wants for, for, for us here in this earth. Because again, dominion was given to, to us to set in order all of God's creation and to maintain the worship and glorifying of God throughout of creation. And as we discovered last time, that creation includes us. We are little worlds created by God. And just like the fleshly creatures of this world, our flesh doesn't communicate with God. But our spirit does. So our spirit is to subdue our flesh. Take control of that hostile nation. Have dominion over it. Why? To bring it into the harmony and the the will of God's purpose. That's what we're to do. And then we went to Colossians 2. We're not going to go there again. But we looked at that word mortify. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5. And I said, it wasn't the same definition, but it was a synonym for subdue. And it says mortify your members in Colossians 3 verse 5. That's what we must do. Bring them into submission. Take control of that hostile nation of your flesh. So that we can bring everything into God's purpose. Then we moved on and we saw that you know, God gave this command to Adam, and he began to do this, but he needed to help me. So we went to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to read there. We're going to start from verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it, and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in that day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a help me for him. Now, I, I like how he told him that he said it's not good for him to be alone. I'll make him a help me for him. But remember back in chapter 127 already, he already created male and female. See, God was already on purpose. Male and female created he them. 
And the Lord God, I'm sorry, and the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. And out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help me for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her up into her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And like I said before, this was the beginning of the family. That was the first family, right there. God created. And remember what we said, God saw that it was, that he needed to help me for him. That means, to get God's purpose done, God said, oh, you need to help me. Because there's something that you're lacking. We need somebody else that's filled with my spirit to complete what you're lacking. And then what's in you, it'll complete what she's lacking. And together, y'all make a harmonious whole. Together, you can subdue and have dominion. So from that statement there, we see that it's essential for the family to be in God's purpose. If you want to subdue all, subdue and have dominion over all fleshly things, including your flesh, we need to be God's family. Keep his purpose on mind. See, God intended for the husband and wife to be a spiritual functional unity, walking in one, walking in integrity, serving God and keeping his commandments together as one, as a family. When this harmony is operative, then society prospers under God's hand. So, we said that the family alone, this tells us that the family alone must impart some godly qualities or characteristics that enable us as individuals to rise to our full potential and be able to subdue and have dominion over the fleshly things of this earth and our own flesh. You have to learn this in the home. And we said most importantly that it's the family's job to teach the practical knowledge of God and how to apply his word in your everyday life. And the world cannot do this, and you shouldn't expect them to. We said that the world's moral code was money, power, and respect, and everything in between. And when I say everything in between, this is what they think. You get the power, so now you can get the sex. That's everything in between. You, I don't have to go further. Y'all get what I'm saying. Money, power, respect, and everything in between. That's their moral code. You could think about what happened... You know, look, looking at the, what happened in El Paso last night, I'm like, listen, why don't we pass gun laws to govern this? Because somebody needs that money. So that's the double impact because there's people in office that won't make that happen, but they grew up in families too. Not learning the truth. Just like the one who committed the crime grew up in families. Now they're important, in, in, in important positions, making important decisions that affect us, but not fit to rule. And what's the outcome? Well, we saw what, the outcome from last night in El Paso, 20 dead, 26 injured. From one person not being on purpose, or one family. And we have a society full. But God has an answer to that. He has an answer to the flow. Let's go over to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to go ahead and 
just read verse 22 through 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. See, only by possessing these qualities are we fit to rule, to subdue, to have dominion over our flesh. Only by these qualities. And these things are best learned within the structure of a strong family on God's purpose. And this clarifies why the world is in the shape it's in today. So many of these qualities are missing from the home today. God's uncompromising love is missing from the homes today. Too many of the families just focused on the lust of their flesh. And if the family is prevented from producing people who, who can produce the, the fruit of the Spirit, then society, like I said earlier, society as a whole suffers. Because society is made up of families. That's it. So, we need to figure out about these works of the flesh. So, because, like it says in Galatians, the works of the flesh are manifest. And I like that word manifest. Verse 19, matter of fact, let's read that. Let's go to Galatians. Just turn back a page, if, or it may be on the same page for you. I'm going to start at verse 16, chapter 5 again. I'm going to read that. 5, verse 16, it says, This I say, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led by the Spirit, ye are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. And I love that word manifest because that means there's tendencies, there's characteristics that bring about this work, this action that you're seeing. It manifests it. It makes it show up. So you, you, just like if you look down in verse, what verse is it? Uh, verse 21. The second one there says murders. There's something that got that guy in El Paso to get up to murder. There's some characteristics that were developed. He didn't just come out a murderer. So we're going to start down these and we're going to try to identify these characteristics. Because these are the things you need to watch for in your home. These are the things that are going to help you subdue and have dominion over your flesh. And we started last week. And over my study time again, I just lumped these two together. Adultery and fornication. Now, my, my definition of adultery and fornication is having sex with someone who is not your spouse. No delineation for me. Adultery and fornication is having sex with somebody that's not your spouse. Of the same sex. You've got to say that nowadays. Or, I'm sorry, the opposite sex. Not the same sex. Got to say that nowadays. So again, adultery and fornication, let me clear that up for some of you that think, oh, fornication is not as bad. Adultery and fornication is having sex with someone who's not your spouse. For a believer, there needs to be no delineation. For God, there's no delineation. Then we went over some of the characteristics that manifest this adultery and fornicating action. We said disloyalty. We said being fake or phony and fried. Now when I say fake or phony and fried, this, is, this refers to someone who can look you square in your eye and lie to your face. That's fake. That's phony. Non-finishers. Quitters. Can't commit. Greedy. 
and I, I told you about those impulse buyers. A lot of most of the time, impulse buyers they're fornicators. Impulse buyers are selfish people. Like I said last time, they forsake proper judgment. Full of compromise. Let me give you an example here. Let's say you called into work and you tell your boss, Hey, I'm sick. And you use that sick day to take your kids out on a vacation day. Good cause, right? I have to say this here because even though it's good, it don't make it godly. But good cause, right? But let's see what you're teaching your family. So for one thing, you're saying if it benefits you, it's okay to lie for it. Even if that lie causes you to lose something important, like your job, or your virginity, <laughs> I'm trying to get you to connect these characteristics. Okay. So, you're willing to lose something important for that instant gratification. It also teaches that you, you aren't thinking of anybody but yourself. There's that selfish attitude. You, before we even get on the family, let's think about the people at work that got to cover you. Right? While you're out having your sick day. Because you know they have people that work and they have this called operations and they map out a certain quarter and who's going to be there and they need to, and, and, and they're expecting you to be there, but now you have a sick day. So that's selfish for you. And then not to mention, if you do lose your job, your whole family's in jeopardy. That's selfishness against your own family. Not to mention, you're lying and you're going against God's word. And just like a fornicator, selfish, no, no consideration of who's involved. Let's say you're fornicating, you get this person you barely know pregnant. Who's going to take care of your child when your relationship doesn't work out? When you can't even afford to take care of yourself, Mr. and Mrs. Impulse Buyer. Selfish. Or the adulterer who consumes themselves, spending all their time and their energy cheating, and then the rest of their time and their energy trying to hide the fact that they're cheating, and now you have no time for your family. And then you wonder why later in life your children can't keep that thing that they, that's supposed to be holy and sacred until they're married. They can't keep it. Their virginity. Now, that secret that's supposed to be for their husband or their wife, now the whole world knows those secrets. That only their spouse should know. And remember I said, oh, God delivers, but now you get another spouse and they have to deal with that. They have to deal with, oh, but that person knows my secrets. All because you want to show them how selfish you can be. Can't remain faithful to nothing but pleasing your flesh. Oh, real faithful to that. It's been taught that it's okay to go against what you believe as long as it makes you feel good. This is what I said last week when parents say, do as I say, not as I do. 
That's a fornicator's heart. That statement alone says, I don't want to be accountable. There's some things that I know aren't lawful for me, but they make me feel too good, so I don't want to be accountable. And then you hear your your children say, man, I can't wait till I grow up. Because I don't have to be accountable then. Sacrificing what you've been taught just for a momentary good feeling. Unfit to subdue and have dominion. Flesh running wild. Running rampant. And we said, listen, the fornicator's heart goes deep. It's not just necessarily have to be physical sex. Because it's the attitude of a fornicator and adulterer that they have. Whether it be a person or a thing, anyone or anything that causes you to take your eyes off Christ is the aid to that fornicating heart. That heart of adulterer. For that momentary, momentary gratification. This is how you find yourself in cycles. Remember I said the characteristic of it is selfishness? Well, let me tell you about selfishness. Selfishness perpetuates cycles. It keeps them going. Because you're so selfish, you don't care of the outcome. You don't care who's affected, I'm going to do this. So cycles, if you didn't know, they're self-inflicted. Because of your selfishness. you searching for that instant gratification. And just as soon as you get it, that, that instant gratification, that feeling's gone. And you are searching for it again. In the cycle, not caring about the outcome, only caring about you. In the same cycle. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness. Let's get on uncleanness. So looking at uncleanness, this is what I found out about it. It means impure, immoral, filthy, unnatural. It means to be impure or unclean in thought and in action. When something's unclean, it's spoiled. Uncleanness is a matter of the heart. And the thing about uncleanness is, it spoils your heart. And this can come from many things. It can come from being around unclean people, watching unclean things, Design on things, participating in unclean things. Hanging around people with the filthy mouth. Watching movies and when you see something you don't like, your filthy mouth coming off. That bee said what? Oh, don't act like you ain't cursed. Some of you, I've seen curse on Facebook.
Look, some of you that were in Pastor Hill's ministry class, I've seen cursed on Facebook. And then wondering where these unclean things are coming from in your children. Because if you're willing to do it on Facebook and the world will see, then you, then you have no qualms with showing your family. They see it firsthand. Listen, I'm not saying nothing that I can't back up with the facts of this world. Because the facts of this world on Facebook says that that's what you said. I'm just being honest. Cursing in front of your family. Talking about people. And then going around and trying to tell them, respect your fellow man. See the thing about an unclean person, they'll tell your family to, you'll tell your family to be one way at home, in your, or show something else in public, but you can act a different way at home. A person with an unclean heart tries to give excuses to justify doing what they're doing. They say things like this. Yeah, but God knows my heart. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Don't try to play with him. They say stuff like, God loves you. He's happy with who you are. Just be you. I don't see that in the Bible anywhere. An unclean heart tends to blame people for the state that they're in in life. Takes no responsibility. See, uncleanness is watching those X-rated movies and then after learning those things, you try to use them out in the world. Oh, that's uncleanness. That's uncleanness. Oh, but see, that's the thing about this world. Let me tell you about how unclean this world is. They'll tell you it's healthy to watch some of those movies. You know, the same government that that, that won't pass these gun laws to prevent stuff like last night. The same government that will legalize same-sex marriage. The same government that takes prayer out of school, but put in those groups, those social groups that tell you, you can hide that till you get out of your parents' house. Oh, that's in your schools if you didn't know. Unfit to subdue, to have dominion. And then, you know, the unclean person will say, Well, I don't let anybody in my house know about this this stuff that I'm doing. You unclean fool. An unclean person tries to hide it. You know, for example, let's, since I'm on there, if you have pornography, trying to hide it under your bed or in the closets. Password protecting stuff on your computers. Let me tell you something. This next generation is smarter than you. They'll break that password like that.
hiding things from your family when God said you're supposed to teach your family. See, hiding things from your family is just like trying to hide things from God. Brother Isaac, my family's not God. Don't be deceived. Don't think you can hide something. Don't think you can conceal your character forever. The real you is going to rear its ugly head eventually. That's the thing about uncleanness. You can't hide it for long. Remember, the family is God's institution. And to hide what you are is to hide what they're supposed to be. Well, Brother Isaac, I won't hide what they're supposed to be, only what they're not. So here we are again, perpetuating cycles, selfish. Trying to justify your sin. You think you can put a band-aid on your flesh, in actuality you're just letting your flesh just run freely. You're letting your flesh, your flesh govern you and everything in your household. Because you're using your own method. We learned about your own order of worship. And catch this. Let's bring it back to spiritual warfare. Uncleanness, it first enters through the mind. So your mind is like a TV with your antenna receiving those unclean thoughts. Now when you receive those, or when you get to that channel, do you pause on that channel? Do you sit there and be like, ooh, wait a minute. That could be gratifying to my flesh. Are you changing it quickly? Are you disgusted with that sin? That's the thing about uncleanness. The more and more you, you live around it, the more comfortable you get with it, then it becomes your comfort zone. Then the more comfortable your family will be around it. Let's bring it into a natural example. Let's take your home. Let's say you have a dirty room. Let's say you have a dirty house. And let's say you let it stay dirty. And you stay in it, and you sleep in it, and it's fine. After a while, it becomes a comfort zone for you, and it's just dirty everywhere. You come in, you throw your stuff off, you kick stuff off everywhere. And then let's say, okay, now I'm having some company over. Well, now I'm cleaning, I'm running, I'm putting stuff away in closets, I'm throwing stuff under beds, right? And you think I can hide it. And let's just say whoever comes over just hits that wrong closet door, and that filth comes bursting out. It's come bursting out at the scenes. You can't hide it. There's no way to hide uncleanness. You can do it for long. You can put it on the facade. But it's going to come bursting out at the seams. Let me give you a natural example of somebody. And I don't know their, 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 their upbringing, but I'm going to tell you how uncleanness works. We had somebody years ago. So we have her, right? And everybody thought she's the sweetest older woman. You know, this, this, and that. This is going on. But when push came to shove, her uncleanness busted out at the sink. Something she, and let me tell you about that uncleanness that busted out at the sink. That was taught in the home. That racist attitude, that started in the home and now it's rearing its ugly head. In her uncleanness. Can't hide it for long. Oh, she's, she makes a lot of money. Oh, she's doing this on, on uh, HGT or whatever, the cooking network. Oh, she's such a nice lady. And then she calls this person the N-word. 
uncleanness. What does it say in 2 Corinthians? Be not unequally yoked. Because the thing about being unequally yoked, that's how you become unclean. Birds of a feather flock together. You hang around an alcoholic, you're probably an alcoholic. You hang around somebody that's having sex outside of marriage, you're probably having sex outside of marriage. Oh no, I'm trying to minister to him. I don't never see you bring them here. But you go to where they are. Trying to minister to them in the club or something. Unclean. The Bible tells us not to touch the unclean thing. Because it spoils your heart. It shows up later in life. You got to be careful who your children see you hanging out with. Always running from the church, but running to those ones that have nothing for them. Nothing for you. Those ones with the filthy mouths. And it's so hard to to believe nowadays, because I see children nowadays, young age, just running with filthy mouths. Unclean. And you can see what they're going to be in the future if they don't get it corrected. An unclean heart. Unfit. Now the works of flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Lasciviousness. This is one whose thoughts and behaviors are driven by sex. Sexual promiscuity. Unrestrained, unbridled, unbridled sexual behavior. And this is developed because of a lack of validation. A lack of validation in the home because somebody's being selfish still. (laughs) Somebody doesn't have the time. And it leaves your child wanting, seeking approval from somewhere else. And usually that means someone was missing from the home whether because they were not there or because they work all the time and they're choosing something else before their family. Remember, your family, first and foremost, is your ministry. See, a person, a person will search for, for fulfillment all the days of their life in sexual promiscuity. All because somebody at home wasn't on God's purpose. Then you have parents that approve this behavior. Brother Isaac, what you mean? There's no way I, I approve lasciviousness. Oh, you don't think so? Let's think about it, right? Here's a good example. We all know what a nude beach is, right? We would never take our families to a nude beach, right? Too much unrestrained sexuality, right? Right? Now tell me what's the difference between the new beach and going to a cold beach and your little girl wearing a one to two inch, two inch bikini over her crotch area and her breast. Because there's still nothing left to the imagination. What's the difference? Oh, that's approving. 
you might as well took them to a new beach. Letting your child become a child. Listen, you have to, you have to, you have to really be prayerful, you know, and, and watch these things nowadays because the world is changing. Letting your children become cheerleaders, and I, I've seen middle school cheerleaders nowadays doing suggestive cheers, pelvic thrust, looking at grown men in the audience doing these things. But we don't approve of lasciviousness, right? We don't approve of sexual promiscuity. But why do we have a middle schooler doing something like that? Money, power, respect, and everything in between. Every commercial you see nowadays is a half-dressed person. Because they, let me tell you about the world. They know the lust of the flesh too. And they're making a fortune off of it. At the expense of your family. That's the price that people are paying in hand. Take it. Take my family. Whatever the cost. As long as I'm good on this side. They teach you, if you have it, flaunt it. That's how you get what you want. Whether if you want more money, whether if you want more sex, whether if you want a better job. Oh, they, they teach that too for, you know, for like um, job interviews. They tell you, use what you got. Oh, go get you something like that, but unbutton that tie button. But we don't approve of sexual promiscuity, right? We don't approve of the things that those things suggest. Oh, baby, mama just got to go get that job today, so I'm going to wear it like this. Your children are seeing that. And you don't even have to say those things to them. All they got to do is watch you, and they're seeing it and learning it. You're always teaching, whether you're teaching what you're supposed to be or not. Like I said, you've got to watch what you let your children get into today. Because these are the things, these are the small foxes that spoil your children's heart. These, listen, giving your children over to these, for example, basketball, right? I cannot count how many young ladies go to basketball and come out changed forever. Young cheerleaders. In high schools, and I can say this because I saw it, just being sexually promiscuous with all the athletes in the locker room. How did that happen? Well, they out there doing them pelvic thrust cheers. What you mean, how did that happen? Well, we're going to play the dumb. We're going to play the fool, right? Leaving us unfit. Not able to subdue. Not able to have dominion. Not able to govern our own flesh, let alone help someone else learn to do so. Like your children. Ask yourself this question, because I'm going to have to close with this and I'm, and I'm out of time, but we'll pick up next week. Ask yourself these questions. 
Do the decisions for your family show that you're not a part of this world? That you've been called out of this world into his light? Or does it encourage your family to be more like the world? Because remember, to be fruitful, you have to keep God's purpose on your mind at all times. Which means he needs to be a part of every decision you make. Yeah, even if you're, even the decision to let your daughter be a cheerleader, he needs to be a part of that. Here's your warning now, he needs to be a part of those little things. For you come later on in life, like, I don't know what happened to him. You gave way to that lascivious spirit. And we'll pick up next week. You can be dismissed. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.